looking at verses 16 through 22. Ezra chapter 6, 16 through 22. And the sons of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered for the dedication of this temple of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sinner offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, corresponding to the number of tribes of Israel. Then they appointed the priests to their divisions and the Levites in their orders for the service of God in Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. The exiles observed the Passover on the 14th of the first month. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were pure. Then they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the exiles, both for their brothers, the priests, and for themselves. The sons of Israel who returned from exile and all those who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the land to join them, to seek the Lord God of Israel, ate the Passover. They observed the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had caused them to rejoice. He had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage, literally strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. I must admit, this is a very... Difficult subject to tackle in the midst of everything we see going on in our country. It seems like there's been one thing after another. Every time you turn on the news, you don't know what you're going to find. A lot of it's negative, isn't it? So we're talking about being dedicated to joy. So let's just take a look at joy for a second. Let's define what joy is. And you're going to hear this repeated many times in my message because we need to hear it. True joy that never goes away, true lasting joy is nothing you can attain. It is a gift from God. It's the fruit of the Spirit. We see that in Galatians. Joy is not like happiness, which is based upon happenings or whether things are going well or not. Joy remains even in the midst of suffering Because joy is not happiness. It's acquired by the anticipation, acquisition, or listen, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. The definition of joy the world holds is not nearly as amazing as biblical joy because that is a gift from God. Did you notice what I say? The anticipation of something coming. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, you've given your life to Him, you're following Him, you're a disciple of Him, and becoming more and more like Him, you have something greater. That's not a big enough word that awaits us past this place. This world is not our home. We have something far greater that is awaiting us. The Apostle Paul said, not even the sufferings of this place or even the greatest victories in this place can even come close to measuring up the glory that awaits you and I 
as believers. I want us to be dedicated to joy or be striving for joy that only comes from God. The remnant found joy. Did you catch that? In this passage, twice it mentions joy. After all the time they had spent in exile and preparation, after all that time they spent delaying, spent building the temple, they finally found joy. So here's a personal question for each and every one of you. How is your joy? Is it tied to your mood swings? Tied to your circumstances? Is it tied to people around you? Or is your joy tied to the Holy Spirit that indwells you? And like I said just a minute ago, I want us to be dedicated to strive for the joy that only comes from God. And by the way, when I'm talking about joy, I'm not talking about walking around with a smile on your face all the time. There's places built for people who think everything like that and smile all the time. Life's hard. There's suffering. Look at what's going on. But we can still have that joy, which I believe, my personal opinion, is also tied with peace. That we have as believers in Christ. In verse 17, you see them striving for joy with joyful sacrifice. The temple was finished. It had taken everybody with all available resources. Each member had worked hard for four solid years. They had refused to give in when the opposition, when it came, refused to give in the fatigue when they got tired, and refused to give in the discouragement when it came. They pressed on, and now they're able to stand back and see this completed work. And they recognize the fact the reason the temple got built was not only the result of their strength and power. It was given to them by God because what's the first thing they did? They dedicated the temple to God. They offered sacrifices. They worship God. Now, if we go back to 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon originally off, uh, dedicated the original temple there in Jerusalem, listen to some of the sacrifices they offered up. He offered up 22,000 cattle, 120,000 sheep and goats were sacrificed. And if you look at this list back in the text, it's not that much. They offered only 100 cattle. And only 612 sheep and goats. But God was pleased just as much with their sacrifice as he was with Solomon's. You know why? Because the sacrifice was sacrificial. They didn't have as much as they did back then. They were a smaller group back then, but they gave. They were a small group of people, but they gave what they could. For the four past years, they poured most of what they had in the building. Their, their sacrifice was sacrificial. Even more than that, it was joyful. Did you see what it said? They, they dedicated the house of God, look at the text, with joy. Now, the text doesn't say, and I'm kind of reading into it a little bit, but these were human beings just like you and I. Building that temple was not easy. I mean, they didn't have modern tools and machines that we have today. 
And I'm sure it took a lot to get it done. And when they got it done, they still gave with joy to God. Now, Paul talks about this kind of attitude to the church in Corinth. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six and seven. Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he's purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. It, we should never get into the, the mindset that I, okay, I gave my offering today check. You have to give what God lays on your heart. It doesn't matter the amount, because God doesn't necessarily need your financial resources. He's looking for a person who is giving back to him. And by the way, here's something that I found as I did my studies. That word cheerful in the Greek, hilarious. Does that sound even like anything in English? Hilarious. Hilarious. Have you ever seen someone give their offering this laughing? Hilariously? Kind of interesting to see that. And most of our time, our, our give is not either joyful nor sacrificial. But when we joyfully sacrifice, it, it shows the Lord that we trust him. The more we trust him, the more he shows us that he's all sufficient. And the more we see that he's all sufficient, he takes off the pressure and the worry is taken off all of us. And the less precious, uh, pressures, pressure, excuse me, and worry means a whole lot more joy. So the more I give joyfully to him, he's going to I'm showing him that, Lord, I trust you. He's going to show me he's all sufficient. And when I realize that it takes a lot of pressure. Off me and a lot of worry. Now, this doesn't mean God will give you a Mercedes in a mansion. It does mean that the Lord will take away your material worries and frets and fill you with his joy. Because let's go back. True joy is a gift from God. Verses 18 through 20. Try for joy with joyful service. Remnant had just gone for this massive building program. Which they didn't really have to have enough people to do anyway. People had to work two or three times as hard. They had to dig deep in everything they had. Was it their time now to kick back and enjoy the fruits of their labor? Try to let someone else take over the reins. I did my job. Let someone else do it for a change. That's not what they did, is it? They continued to strive for joy by continuing to serve. It was in a different capacity, but it was every bit as challenging. They moved from a building program to an ongoing operation. As soon as they laid their hammers down, they started picking everything up that was needed to make the day-to-day -day operations ministries happen. Levites and the priests, they got pure. They had to do what they needed to do so they could minister to the people. They got ready to serve. No kicking back. Do you know who the most... Do you know who the people are that get most dissatisfied with the church? It's the ones who look for the church as a place for, for the church needs to serve them rather than a place where you serve Christ. See, this is the local body of Christ. We are to serve God 
serve Christ through this local body. Now, as a church, there's nothing wrong with meeting needs that come up from time to time. But a lot of times, churches and people get in trouble because we become like Burger King. Everything we want is my way. And we lost focus on what the church truly is. Each of us need to serve Christ through this local body. Not out of duty, not obligation, but out of the love for Jesus is why we're serving him. They went from building, completely reorganized for the service of God. They joyfully served and celebrated the Passover, which, by the way, probably was not an easy task. But they did it. It was a matter of service to God, and they did it with joy. Is it easy to work 40 hours, uh, 40 hours a week and come and work at the church? The Lord never called us to easy. But the more you actively serve, the more satisfied you become with the church. The more you serve Jesus, the more he will fill you with joy. There is blessings in serving. Can it get difficult at times? Oh, yeah. Come join us on a Wednesday night sometime. It can get difficult. But as your pastor, yes, I'm serving you, but the higher calling is I'm serving him. You see where I'm going? We need to strive joy, strive for joy with joyful separation. Verses 21 through the first part of 22. What a blessing it was for the remnant to be a people again. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, when they first took him back into exile, had a reason and a purpose why he did what he did. He first took their bright and the most smart people out of there first. And they would change their name to a Babylonian name, give them Babylonian food, and decorate them in everything Babylonian culture. So anything that identified them as a people, he was trying to take away from them and make them Babylonians. And here's three guys that you can find in the book of Daniel that you may have heard about. Now I'm actually reading their Babylonian names, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They got in trouble because they didn't want to eat what they're trying to give them. You know, the story ended up in the fiery furnace, but they were trying to make them a Babylonian. They're trying to rob everything that they had that identified them as a people. God preserved a remnant like he always does. But they were still intermingled with pagans until now. Now they're back in Jerusalem, had completed the temple, and now they can separate themselves from pagan influences. Now here's something I have to be very careful with. Jesus does not call us from the world, but to spread the gospel to the world. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. And We cannot do that if they, the world, cannot see any difference in us. Sometimes we get so hung up on what's on the outside. It's always the how we appear, how we dress, and how we uh, talk and things of that matter. But here's the point. It's all about the heart. Yes, we should act different. We should not wear things that are provocative or offensive. But when we get hung up on the outward stuff, we miss the point. I could be the most clean-cut, outwardly perfect person you can meet. 
If that's what I'm trusting in, I'm right smack dab in the middle of being of the world. Because that's what the world trusts in. See, the world trusts in its own righteousness. But we, as believers, we trust in the righteousness of Christ. The world thinks if they're just good enough, I'm a good enough person, I, I do this, I do that, I'm okay. We look at that and say, no, it can never measure up. So we put our trust in the righteousness of Christ. When we separate ourselves to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that's when we have joy. Striving for joy with separation. Not coming up with a list of do's and don'ts because that simply makes a way for us to judge each other. Because I make a list of do's, this is what you should do. And I look down and I say, I can, I can do that, I can do that, and I can do that. And I look at your list and you struggle with all those things. Now I can look at you and say, I'm better than you. Stop making a list of do's and don'ts. And then make fun of each other at the same time we have a log of pride stuck in our eyes. Separation from the world is separating unto Jesus. That's what we're striving for and that's what brings joy. That's what I mean by separation. We ought to be in the world, but not of the world. We should be different. And we should be so different the fact that people see that and they ask us about it. Imagine the remnant. I mean, look what they've been through. Now they finally had a temple back. They could sacrifice something that identified them as a people of God. And now they have it. That had to have some joy there. And then strive with joyful strength, verse 22, last part, finishing up the text. Who was it that made them joyful, by the way? Of course, it was the Lord. And that's the running theme we find here. The desire and the encourage to joyfully sacrifice came from the Lord. The strength and perseverance to joyfully serve came from the Lord. And the determination and willpower to joyfully separate came from the Lord. If you uh, sacrificially gave every dime that you make to the church because I said so, first of all, I know that never would happen. But let's say it did. It would be a burden to you. And not only would you be broke, but you'd be burdened instead of blessed. You'd be burdened and you would resent me. Before long, your joy would be gone and so would you. You need to do what the Lord tells you to do. That's the one that can give you the joy. And the sad part of this as we come to the end of the part of the passage is that if you go down just a few more verses, a couple more chapters, this joy that this remnant has now will begin to fade. Satisfied with daily rituals and routines, Once the temple was finished, they quit being joyfully separated. They left the rest of Jerusalem in ruins and unprotected. They forgot their history and married from pagan nations. And when they did, they lost their joy. Here's what it is. They got so involved in the day-to-day operations and living, they forgot the God who gave them their joy. If this is, say, Tim, I don't have much joy right now because everything going on. Let me just encourage you to step back and say, 
What happened to it? Have you forgotten about God who can give you joy? And I'm not talking about you have to be jumping up and down, screaming and hollering. Woo-hoo. I'm talking about that. I would almost say a, a joy and a deep-seated peace that nothing can shake. Don't well, misunderstand me. I'm concerned about my kids, my grandkids and all that. But at the end of the day, I know where I'm going. At the end of the day, it ain't going to matter about this COVID-19. It ain't going to matter who president was. It ain't going to matter about all these economic sanctions. At the end of the day, I know Jesus. Jesus knows me. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. But Jesus also told me, well, Tim, you need to love everyone out there as I have loved you. And that's where the rubber hits the road. It would kind of be nice if he said, just come in here and shut the door. Don't worry about nobody else. Yeah, go out there and love those people. Tell them about God, who he is, what Jesus means to us. How are you getting through the circumstance of COVID? How can you get through all this job loss and all these riots? You look at them and say, it's with God. It's through prayer. You know, we can legislate and pass laws, which I believe we should. But that will never change the circumstance. We're waiting on man's law to change the things around here. We're waiting on this wrong thing. Only the power of God can do that. Specifically through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When Jesus saves you, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your heart. He gives you all you need to have a life full of joy. If that is true then why do so many of us live a life that's so unjoyous? We like to use our circumstances as an excuse. That's not a good reason. It's not the reason. Think of Jesus' circumstance when facing the cross and listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's a good Texan word right there, right? Fixing. Looking at the author and perfecter of our faith. Listen, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. He knew. He did the Father's will, what awaited him, and exactly what was going to happen. That's how he prayed. That's what Hebrews is telling us. So I want to encourage you this morning, as we continue to move through this pandemic and the rioting, everything we see happening on the news, remember what is set before you. Remember the promises of God. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He's coming back to take us home. There's nothing on this earth that can measure the glory and the wonder of heaven. I think when we get there, this is Tim's little theology 101. We're going to get there and go, holy cow, we won't even close. 
Or more likely, we'll just be falling on our faces, worshiping holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Just ensure all. Because that moment, our faith now will become our sight. See, the cross was joy to Jesus because he had his eyes on his father. There was a movie that came out some years ago by Mel Gibson called The Passion. And it, it, it was a good movie, you know. There's a, a part where they take him out and they bring him the cross. And he embraces the cross. He's embracing the cross. And one of the criminals look at him, what are you doing embracing the cross? That's because Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew what was at stake. He knew that he was going to purchase your salvation and mine. He knew the Father's plan. He knew it's going to be suffering. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. But on the side of it, he'll be exalted with a name above every other name. No other name can then be saved other than Jesus Christ. And that one day, one day, everybody is going to bow their knee and declare and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We lose our joy because we quench the spirit. The spirit of joy Jesus gives us when he saves us. We take our eyes off the one who gives us joy and we put them all on our obligations and circumstances. How can you keep from doing that? How can you experience joy no matter what your circumstances Quit looking at the things that God has called you to as obligations. See them for what they are. See them as joy that is set before you. Sacrificially, joy, uh, sacrifice joyfully. Serve joyfully. Separate from sin joyfully. And when you do those things, the Lord will give you joyful strength to endure what's ever in store for you. That's how you make it through. Don't look at gathering together as a local body, as a duty or obligation. This is a merely, may I say, dress rehearsal. Take a look around you. How many Christians do we have in the house? Can I hear an amen about how many we have in here? Well, come on, sound like you mean it. Look around. You'll spend eternity with these people. Don't look at me like that. Think about the joy that is set before you. But in the meantime, we are to set our our eyes on the work that needs to be done. And here's the, the thing that just blows me away about my Savior. He is not asking me to do one thing that he hasn't done himself. He said, Tim, I blazed the trail before you. Look what I did. I came. I showed. I taught. I performed miracles. And then I left my life down and I rose again. And now I'm at here I am at the right hand of my father's throne. You'll be here, too, one day at the throne. Just follow me. Come on. Don't look that way. Just keep your eyes on me. How many times you ever say that to your kids growing up? Look at me. And they look away. No, look at me. I'm talking to you.
Now, I may be a little off here, but I think God kind of gets frustrated with us sometimes. Tim, quit look at, look at me. Listen to me. Quit listening to them. I'm the one that created you. I'm the one who loves you beyond measure. I gave my only son for you. Whatever God is laying on your heart this morning, whatever burden that you're carrying, I'd invite you just to lay it down this morning. Say, here it is. Don't worry about cleaning it up or making excuses. He already knows this. Here it is. As I always say, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because what's going to happen here in about another five minutes? We'll have an invitation that you're responded to, you're invited to respond. But some of us are going to walk out here and pick up the same baggage that we came in with and wonder why things do not change. And that speaks to me. I'm guilty of doing that. If we simply would let go of our pride and just let go, say, you know what, I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Jesus, you take it. You take it. And he will. But I do have to tell you this before we close with prayer. When you follow Christ, you sold out to him. It's not going to be easy. He said they persecuted me. They will persecute you. But man, oh man, the joy that is set before us, what awaits us? I go to prepare a place for you. If we're not so, I wouldn't have told you that. So where I am, you can also be. He is fixing that one beautiful place. And the best part of that place, no sin. Can you imagine that? That means no more backbiting, no more gossiping. Uh, 